Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football Season 3. Man, I am so excited to be back. What is up, PGF Nation? Season 2 ended with the Super Bowl. Season 3 starts right now with NFL draft coverage. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and I'm excited to have McKenzie Brewing back as the official beer of Pint Glass Football online at mckenziebrewing.com. I've got a great show for you guys. I've got a guest co-host and a guest interview coming up later in the show. Joining me is Tyrone Powell of Sport City Chefs radio show and podcast. What is up, Tyrone? Nothing much, man. Definitely excited to be here with my brother Brad Fowler doing this thing as best as we possibly can. Going over the draft, which everybody gets hyped about in their early spring Christmas. How are you feeling this April evening? Man, I am so excited to do this, man. I'm excited to have you on the show. For a lot of you guys that might have checked it out and follow on Twitter and Instagram, I was actually a guest on his show a few weeks back talking some football right around the Super Bowl. It was a lot of fun and decided to have him on the show today as a guest co-host. It's going to be a blast breaking down the NFL draft with you guys. Can't wait to get your take on some of these players and these prospects. I'll start with this, Tyrone. I think this term gets overused a little bit. But you hear these guys who always say these can't miss prospects. I don't think there's any can't miss guy, so to speak. But who are some guys that you like in this draft that you think might be can't miss, if you will? Well, the top of the draft is Trevor Lawrence. And everybody has a dream to have this guy on their team and the qualities that this guy has at the quarterback position. He will not fall away from Jacksonville. I think he will end up leading in trying to direct them on a new path, but it's tough for these type of guys to be top draft prospects and not be in an unfamiliar situation because they're notable winners while they're in college and coming to the league. They have to build a team from the ground up. And uh, I still feel like Jacksonville is a while away from being uh, a big stink, if you will, or a team that you have to worry about in the AFC South. So he has a lot of work to do on the fly. Now, some news has ha- happened uh, with the situation with Zach Wilson potentially landing right in the lap of either the Jets or the Carolina Panthers with the with the Panthers making the move of getting Sam Darnold. Now this puts the Jets in a situation where they have to go after a quarterback, either Fields or Wilson. I wonder which way they will end up going. These are two quarterbacks that I would love to have my team have them fall in their lap, but you can't miss on these at least two or three guys at the quarterback position. This is a star-studded quarterback draft right now. Yeah, I want to get your take on this this quarterback class because you touched on Trevor Lawrence. I think he's a guy who's about as close to can't miss as there is. You know, a lot of people are saying that this could be the best NFL draft quarterback prospect we've seen maybe since Andrew Luck. You're looking at a guy that's maybe the best prospect in over a decade or longer. There's so much to like about this guy. Six foot six, 220 pounds. The thing that stands out for me is the 30 plus starts at Clemson. I think that's a big deal. I think people are ignoring how important it is to have that experience, to have that big game experience as well. 65% completion thrower, five and a half touchdowns to interception ratio, big, tall, good arm, throws that beautiful deep ball, especially to the left side of the field. He's really accurate, athletic. He's good on the move. I mean, this guy checks so many boxes. There's really not a lot of things to, to not like about this guy. You know, just a very, very high-level football player. I think he's got a slightly long delivery. When I watch him throw, 
because he's got that long frame and those long arms, he, his delivery isn't that compact, prototypical delivery that you'd like to see if I was going to nitpick his game. And sometimes you, when you watch his tape, his footwork can be a little bit sloppy at times. But really, there's so much more to like about him than not like. I think he's about as close to can't miss as there is. Now, as far as this quarterback class, I'm not as high on the rest of these guys. Now, I think there's a lot of potential in this class. But to me, you've got a lot of boom or bust prospects here. A, a lot of people are really high on Zach Wilson. He does seem to be the, the consensus number two in this class, if you will. But there's a lot of people that are high on Justin Fields. There's a lot of people that are high on Trey Lance. But I think all of these guys have some warts. So what do you make of the rest of this class? Where would you rank these guys? Uh, I think they right where, where they need to be. The crazy part about what you're saying about these quarterbacks. I think that these guys are in a situation where they get to showcase their talents. Like I even don't like the fact that people miss on Mac Jones. This guy's a, a known winner. He's learning from an Alabama system with a pro ready coach. So as long as he goes to a good system and is able to excel and more than likely looking like he's going to fall to a team like the 49ers, uh, they already have a ready made offense. As long as that running game comes back to what it used to be, um, I think he's falling into a position where he could actually hit the ground running. Uh, Trey Lance, we don't have too much on him because of the season that they missed. But Ju uh, Zach Wilson, the, the efforts that he was able to make with BYU, this guy at one point was having 80% completion percentage. Like, I, I don't I don't understand why people would, you know, understate what this guy was able to do at the end of the day with no big-time notable receivers. His, his notable receiver was Dak Milne. Nobody really knows him unless you really paid attention to BYU football. And uh, Justin Fields, I mean, if his running back doesn't go down in that game, we, we would have seen a different game. He had to end up being the lead rusher and the passer also. So these guys are in situations where they have to go into the league with teams that are underperforming and have to turn these teams around at the age of 21, 22 years old, maybe sometimes younger. The situation around Trevor Lawrence as well, that is nitpicking if we're looking at his delivery because he's done so much. He's only lost, I think, under like four or five games, uh, winning national championships and getting to the pinnacle. That could at least drive these teams to be playoff ready if these teams are ready to ride with a young quarterback. So uh, I feel like these guys are all right. They, they just have to get the team to follow. It was already in a tough situation with Joe Burrow last year trying to turn around Cincinnati where they were in a losing form, and he was the notable guy to get the show turned around, and he suffered an unf unfortunate situation injury. So – this has always been the makeup around a lot of these players. I think that given the right situation, they have to get time to excel. That That's what I'm saying, at least for the first four or five quarterbacks that I could think off the top of my head. Trey Lance is the only one that really has to go out there and prove themselves. But from Justin Fields to Jones to Wilson, I mean, these guys are definite studs coming out this this year. Yeah, what do you make of Zach Wilson? I He's a guy, he's really interesting to me. He's listed at 6'3", 210, but it doesn't pass the eye test. Am I, am I the only one that sees that? He looks like he's about 6'1", a buck 90. I, I don't really see the size. I think maybe he's inflated. I This is one of those situations where you'd love the combine to be available because I'd love to see what his actual measurables are. I don't know if it matters all that much because he can clearly play the position. I love his arm talent. I love how he can manipulate his arm, make those sidearm throws, over-the-top throws. He can really escape the pocket and elude the rush. I love his athleticism and his ability to extend plays. I think the biggest concern for him is that he beat up on a lot of cupcakes this year. We all know the schedule was pretty weak for BYU. And then in the one tough 
test, if you will, was Coastal Carolina, which he really didn't look very good. Is that a concern for you? Not at all. I don't think that's just something that people should be bothered with because it's not fair that he doesn't get to make the schedule. They have to play the games that are on their schedule, and the numbers that he's putting up shows why he's putting those numbers up. If they were in heavier competition, I think those numbers would probably decrease and be suitable for where they are. I mean, 20 pounds, I don't think they could undercut 20 pounds. Like, if they're saying he's 210 and he's like a 205, then maybe. I don't think that he's 190, 210. There's no way that the camera can miss 20 pounds. And two inches, I mean, it may be some type of bickering across the league, but I, I, don't, I think his game shows enough for him to make all of the throws that we've seen on the level that he's played against. And yes, there, there aren't that many strong teams in his conference, but he's putting up gaudy numbers. And like I said, for him to have an 80% at one point in time, completion percentage, that's, that's unheard of. You, you tell me the last time you've seen a quarterback lighting the, floor, the field up like that in comparison to like the years when Aaron Rodgers was there in, in Cal and he having a funny delivery and his arm up high and making sure that he scrambled around and making those throws. And we know the, how the story ended for Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen. In college, So these guys could all make changes. They, there's going to be uh, coaches that work on the mechanics and for them to get the job done. So guys like Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence being some of the guys that we're actually uh, questioning, I think they could definitely make a difference with just a couple of tweaks while they get into camp and make differences within their offenses. I think one thing that you said that's fair is that you talked about his competition not being that great, but you could look at it both ways because BYU also wasn't an NFL factory. It's not like he had NFL receivers, NFL running backs. You look at a guy like Justin Fields or a Mac Jones or even a Trevor Lawrence, these guys played at college powerhouse programs where they had so much talent around them. Zach Wilson definitely didn't have that. So to be fair to the competition, you could also argue, well, he didn't have the level of players around him as well. So I think that's a fair statement. I think the quarterback for me, Tyrone, that really is the most interesting, the most intriguing prospect, I think is Trey Lance, the quarterback out of North Dakota State, 6'3", 224 pounds, sophomore, played in an FCS school, I think that's always a big question mark. Not that we haven't seen guys come out of small schools and have success at the next level, but he never played against a, a big boy. He never got a chance to really showcase himself. And he only had 17 starts in college, which I think is probably the biggest red flag to his game. But if you look at his size, his strength, just a really athletic kid, I, you know, just has a live arm. I mean, this kid can really put some zip on the throw. He's good under pressure. He can make those off-platform throws. And when you look at this offense that they ran, it was a run-heavy offense. And so he didn't get a lot of chances to showcase his skills, but it was a pro-style system. And that's one thing I really like about this kid is that he played in a system where he gets to make the protection calls at the line of scrimmage. He gets the audible at the line of scrimmage. You don't see a lot of these college quarterbacks. They play in these spread, up-tempo systems nowadays. You see it so often. It's rare to see a kid playing in a system that I think will help him at the next level. Well, the situation I look at with Trey Lance, especially with the team that he may end up going to, if it's a team that doesn't have the good protection up to up front, I think that he could be one of those quarterbacks that if he goes to his first or second read, he doesn't see anything and the pocket starts collapsing. He's that type of guy that could take off and make a play downfield and hurt you. This is similar to a guy like Ben Roethlisberger when he came out from the University of Miami, Ohio. Uh, a lot of people didn't know who he was or what he brought to the table. And once Maddox went down, it was Big Ben's show. And uh, for the run that he went off on, I think it was a 15-game winning streak 
uh, while he's with Pittsburgh and, and they got as far as the AFC championship. We have not seen a quarterback go off on a run like that in quite some time. So you look at a guy like Trey Lance who has to try and make that type of difference on a team that may not have that protection up front. And if he can make plays on the run, these on, these defenses are going to have to stay honest to uh, their man and definitely try to you know, tighten the box up so they can make sure he doesn't have an escape route. Because definitely if he does have that escape route, he could pick up five to seven or 10 yards. The, the year of the athlete has changed where not only is a bigger, stronger athlete in those uh, specialty playmaking positions, but now you have quarterbacks that are ready to take off, i.e. Trey Lance, i.e. Justin Fields. So, and also just throwing Trevor Lance in as a scrambler as well and Zach Wilson. Like these guys all have the gift to take off. The lone one that you have to be concerned about not moving is Mac Jones. And, and he has a little athleticism to pick up yards as well. So I, I think it's changed. It's no longer that that year of the statue where guys sit in the pocket and try to make those throws. People are more athletic and know what's involved with these uh, speedy linemen that only give you about a half a second to get the ball off. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you hit that on the head. It's definitely a different NFL, and you you see these scouts and analysts, they really covet these types of quarterbacks, and, and you hit on it. We have a lot of them in this class, guys who are athletic, can move in the pocket and pick up yards. Mac Jones, like you said, is the exception, but he's still a little bit underrated as an athlete as well. I agree with you. I want to get your take on Justin Fields, though, the quarterback out of Ohio State. We touched on him briefly. This kid's 6'3", 228. You want to talk about great size and athleticism. For me, when I look at Justin Fields, he has all the physical tools. Similar to some of these other players we've talked about, the physical tools are there. This guy definitely has the ability to play at the next level, but he was a little bit inconsistent at times in college. He played in a really quarterback-friendly system at Ohio State. And some of the red flags for me with him is I think he's a little too quick to when he's going through his progressions, it seems like he's quick to want to tuck it and run. He doesn't always get to that second or third read. And I don't always see him anticipate like I'd like to see from a quarterback at that level. He tends to wait for his wide receivers to get open. I think that's a bit of a red flag because at the NFL level, we know that getting open in the NFL is much different than being open in college. You've got to be able to thread the needle. You've got to be able to anticipate that wide receiver breaking open. I don't see that enough with Justin Fields, but I love the physical abilities. I love the arm talent. What do you make of Justin Fields? Uh, the thing with Justin Fields is when you have that type of speed, you know it's a gift. So with him actually facing a lot of these pressures or rushes or with the pocket collapsing, he's ready to take off because it's almost like a game of tag where you don't want to get caught. And knowing that he has the ability to pick up speed and, and make a play downfield, he just had his pro day and he ran a 4-4. That's a quarterback. Like, like that's stunning. So, like, I don't think they take that away from him because you only had one situation where we looked at recently with Lamar Jackson having that ability to take off. It's, it's a new day, people. I know people are enamored with trying to stick with a, a quarterback that stays in the pocket and makes those throws, but we just had Lamar Jackson that's been in the league for three years and pick up an MVP. You got a situation where you guy like Patrick Mahomes, who's going to be a scrambler and pick up yards and get you a Super Bowl. So this is not a situation that they got to hold it over Justin Fields' head. If he can make a play downfield, do you think a coach is going to be mad if he's picking up 10 yards and getting the first down if he can't hit the receiver? And I get it. Like, receivers will get mad, but receivers will also be happy if he's moving the chains and keeping the, the play alive if he can uh, keep the ball in play and make a pass downfield where these guys are wide open. So... I get it. Like people want to see it happen quicker or to the way that they like. But again, this is a new day. It's a new sport. Plays break down. 
and uh, he's going to either make the play on his feet or, or make that efficient pass. And he's a winner, too. I mean, a, a, a university that I, I do not like being Ohio State, but I got to respect what he's been able to do while he's been on the field for that team. And uh, he's lit people up with his pro day. So to each their own, whatever team gets him, I know that that's going to be a gem. I don't think that he's more of a Terrell Pryor because Terrell Pryor was more or less the quarterback that wanted to run that they turned into a receiver and uh, didn't look back, and his career kind of was shortened. I think Justin Fields will remain to have a job in the NFL. Yeah, I like that take. I, I think you might be a little higher on these quarterbacks than I am, but I, I love the upside of all these guys. I, I think that every one of them has a ton of athletic ability, and so it would not surprise me to see any one of these guys shine at the next level. But we know if you look at history of the NFL draft, that's rarely the case. Usually there's going to be two or three of these guys that are going to bust and one or two that are going to pop. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens with these players here. But I want to shift gears here to the defensive side of the ball. Talk about some of these NFL uh, or these defensive prospects, Tyrone. What do you make of this defensive class? It seems like there, people are really caught up in the quarterbacks and, and some of these pass catchers, which we'll get to in a minute. But what do you make of the defensive class? Who are some guys that you really like in this class that you think are going to be stars at the next level? Patrick Sertan is second. Uh, his father was an NFL player at the same position, playing out of Miami as well. But him being a player from the University of Alabama, coming from a coach who was already pro-ready and having this guy get a winning caliber on winning a national championship as well, I think is a big piece to end up going in the first top 10 picks within this draft. I think he could definitely make a difference in the respected division that he may be in some people think that he may end up falling in the nfc east which would be credible if he's going up against the likes of a dallas cowboys or the the washington football team these guys are passing offenses that are going to go with uh, guys that are going to make plays downfield so uh he's going to have to be ready as soon as possible to break up passes or get caught with shifty receivers in front of him and there's a lot of speed especially across the board and also with micah parsons another linebacker out of penn state uh who's also noted as going as a top 10 pick also out of the state uh, out of Penn State being a quality uh, linebacker and, and definitely been a, a big piece to the puzzle to a lot of these discussions that have gone around in these mock draft co conversations if you will so I think that's at least two that come to the top of my head and also uh, me and one of my favorite players with Greg Gregory Rousseau I definitely want him to make a name of himself especially with what happened with this past year with uh the battle against the COVID and things of that nature. He wasn't able to go out there and give as much effort as he could, but he definitely made a name for himself to at least be in the top 20 of picks in mock drafts as well. So at least three that come to mind. What about you? How do you feel about some of the guys, at least uh, in this first portion of the draft? Well, I like Patrick Sertain. Like you said, this is a guy who's a really, really polished prospect, a three-year starter at Alabama, just has a ton of big game experience under his belt. Like you alluded to, that NFL pedigree as well. I think there's a lot to like about him. But this cornerback class, I kind of want to touch on this class because this is a really talented group at the top. You've got four guys that most people see as being potentially first-round picks. Patrick Sertan, Caleb Farley, J.C. Horn, and Greg Newsom are guys that I keep seeing near the top here. The guy for me that really stands out, though, at corner is J.C. Horn, another guy with NFL DNA. His dad, Joe Horn, was a wide receiver for the Saints for a long time. This is a guy that's got prototypical size, speed, athleticism. He is just a really, really outstanding cover corner. 
can really mirror wide receivers. He's got excellent footwork and agility. He can flip his hips and, and cover wide receivers in short area coverage. He can play the nickel. Just a all-around super talent. I actually have him as my number one corner in this class. I think he's being undervalued slightly. And don't get me wrong, Caleb Farley and, and Patrick Sertan are both outstanding prospects. But for me, J.C. Horn is just on another level. When I watch this guy's tape, what he can do as a playmaker, breaking up passes, he's a good tackler. I really don't see any weaknesses in this guy's game. So I'm really sky high on him. But I wanted to touch on Micah Parsons, a guy that you talked about. This guy has got to be the best defensive player in this entire class. He is an absolute stud. When you watch his tape, he just jumps off the TV screen. So much talent. I mean, incredible talent, explosive, intelligent player. He has awesome range, that sideline to sideline speed. He can cover wide receivers and running backs out of the backfield tight ends, but he gets downfield in a hurry and can get tackles for a loss. He can shut down running backs. I've just been so, so impressed with him. But moving on to another group of players that I really wanted to touch on here quickly was this wide receiver group, Tyrone, this is a group, or, or let me let me rephrase that, the pass catcher group, because really we've got a few guys here at the top of this draft who are really, really special, and it seems like no matter who you ask, they're ranked in different places as far as who's the best in this class. So what do you what do you make of this group at the top, and, and who do you really like from this group? The two teammates are the best situation with Waddle and Smith. The one that I liked the best was Waddle before the injury, but after the injury, Devontae Smith clearly bought me out of this situation. It's like Devontae can make a change at any given respective organization that he's going to go to, but knowing that any team that's clamoring to get a receiver right now uh, may end up getting at least Smith in the first 10. I think Waddle could potentially fall out of the top 10 due to the injury, but um, at least the first two that come to my mind, you also got Jamar Chase, another receiver out of LSU, quality receiver, especially with the winning pedigree with them, with these guys winning a championship and uh, definitely making a change in this season, even though they were down, LSU's played in show, but he was definitely a quality name that they threw into the likes of, you know, guys that just left with Justin Jefferson. So that that's at least the top three that I could think of right now at the receiver position off the top of my head to make a difference within the uh, first 10 to 15 picks. Yeah. And the reason, and I, I love this group of wide receivers. I really think you've got some guys who are just outstanding and they all offer different things on the field. They're all a little bit different as far as the type of playmakers they are, but I think every one of them can be a start in the next level. But the reason I rephrased that question from wide receivers to pass catchers is because I had to include a guy, Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Florida. I think the term generational talent gets thrown around way too often, but this guy checks that box for me. This is probably the best tight end prospect we've seen in decades. Just an outstanding player, a guy who has size and athleticism. He's going to be a mismatch nightmare for anybody. He's too fast for linebackers. He's too big for DBs. He is just such an outstanding player. He's an underrated blocker. The athleticism, the pass catching ability, the playmaking ability is completely off the charts. For me, I think he's right there near the very top of this class as far as can't miss prospects. He's one of those guys that I would be totally shocked if he did not have an awesome NFL career. 
Yeah, and if I knew you were including tight ends, I definitely would have threw Kyle Pitts in the situation. I thought you said receiver, but I definitely would have threw him in there. Quality guy, big size target. He has that uh, can't-miss situation like we had addressed toward the uh, quarterbacks that we mentioned earlier as well. So uh, definitely Kyle Pitts can make a change. He's definitely a first-round pick. Um, I'm wondering where he may potentially end up landing because I think he's going to be an instant impact player, kind of like how Chase, uh, Chase Claypool was out of Notre Dame. Yeah, it's a good comparison. Claypool playing wide receiver, but really built like a tight end. And that's that's kind of what I see with Kyle Pitts. Just just a big body guy, but extremely athletic and is just going to be a, a quarterback's best friend, especially on third down. An absolute monster at Florida. I can't wait to see his NFL career. But we're going to do a whole bunch more NFL draft coverage, guys. We've got so much more to come in these upcoming episodes. And we've got a special guest coming up here next that's going to break down some more NFL draft talk for you guys. Excited to be joined by A.J. Schulte. He's an NFL college football and NFL draft writer for ProFootballNetwork.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at A.J. Draft Scout. He's got a great article that just came out recently debating Mac Jones and Justin Fields. You guys need to go to profootballnetwork.com and check out his work. He's got some great stuff. AJ, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you guys so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be on. It's been a while since I've recorded a podcast, so I'm excited. I'm amped. Well, good stuff, man. Well, yeah, we're excited to have you. And I'm going to I'm gonna kick this thing off, AJ. And I think we've got to start with the quarterbacks here because Obviously, it's it's the most important position and really in all of sports. And we've got a intriguing quarterback class this year, starting with Trevor Lawrence. We know he's the consensus number one quarterback in this class, so we're not going to get too in-depth on him. But many think that this class could have four others taken in the first round. How would you rank the other top four quarterbacks in this class? Well, the popular answer for a lot of people is – Zach Wilson, right, out of BYU, crazy, ridiculous arm talent. I mean, we see the highlight reels every play. We saw the the pro day. I mean, some people even have him as their number one quarterback. Uh, but for me, it's it's Justin Fields. I just think he's so like, – everything he does, it just screams NFL ready. The accuracy is off the charts. It's great at every level. He's got a great arm. I love his mobility. I think he's a really good leader. We kind of saw that during the playoffs after he just got lit up and played with busted ribs, just came back in and was just still dealing. Uh, that performance really endeared me on Justin Fields. And I was originally a Zach Wilson guy. I really liked Wilson, and I still do, but it's more like the more that I watch Justin Fields and the more – information that comes out about his character and the more like the analytics are starting to get finished up on him so you just see how that all wraps up and he's just to me it's like he's such a safe bet at quarterback to just be really good if he if he lands heck i I think wherever he lands he's gonna be really good uh and then my number three is is zach wilson they're both gonna be top 10 on my draft board i love the way that Zach Wilson plays, it reminds me a lot of how Baker Mayfield played at Oklahoma. And I'm a big Baker Mayfield guy. And Wilson kind of plays with that cavalier attitude, but it's, it's so fun. And you see that confidence that he has as a thrower. It just really, really stands out to me. And you want to see a guy 
that can test those windows and has the arm talent to do so because that really can take your offense to a whole nother level. Hey, AJ, um, I have a question with, regarding the draft class with the wide receivers. Uh, everyone feels that these receivers are the best in the draft. Uh, with this group, who's your number one receiver and why? The top three guys, you know, Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase, and Devontae Smith, it's almost you can't really go wrong with any of them. Just It just depends on what you want. For me, my number one, my highest graded is Jalen Waddle out of Alabama. I think he right away becomes that just superstar receiver. I mean, he alters coverages just based on where he's at. We, we saw this in, if you watch the Raiders tape this year of Henry Ruggs, a big reason why Nelson Aguilar got so open so often and was able to create plays was because the defense was focused on Ruggs. For most of the time, they would bracket him and give Aguilar a lot of one-on-ones and easy coverage. And I think Waddle right away can do that same thing. And that, that tumbled up with his speed, I think, just opens up your offense in such a dramatic way. And he doesn't have a lot of weaknesses. You know, Jamar Chase kind of lets DBs into his chest so often. You don't know how good he is at separating Devonta Smith. I, I don't buy into the the BMI and the weight stuff because it doesn't matter on his film. But you know, you do have that risk of a little bit of an outlier there. And I just, I just, I like Waddle's clean. He's such a clean prospect. He's dynamic. He provides just such a vertical boost in a day where vertical passing is becoming just so frequent. Everybody wants to chase Mahomes. And, you know, how do you get Mahomes? You're part of the thing with Mahomes is Tyreek Hill. And so it, everybody's wanting that. Defensive coordinators, you know, everybody will say, like, DeAndre Hopkins is the best receiver. But defensive coordinators fear Tyreek Hill the most because he just game breaks everything. We saw what he did to the Bucks in the regular season. Then the Buccaneers come around in the Super Bowl, and the, and the whole time we were going, how are they going to handle him? I mean, and they, they did effectively, but you still, you got to wonder, like, if you can recreate that, how good can you be on offense? And I think Jalen Waddell is the closest we've had to Tyreek Hill in years. Yeah, he's an explosive player, and I think he's getting a little bit overlooked in this class for sure, so I love your take there. But I want to shift gears to the defensive side of the ball Micah Parsons might be the best defensive player in this entire class. He's a really, really special linebacker out of Penn State. But I feel like the rest of this linebacker class seems to be not getting as much attention. I think players like Zayvon Collins, Jeremiah Owusu-Okoromoa, Jamin Davis, are they're all seen as first-round talent. Could you talk about this group and how good is this linebacker group? Owusu-Okoromoa is such a such a special kind of unique player because you don't really know he played the rover at at Notre Dame and that's kind of the role he's going to be where it's a linebacker kind of safety hybrid but you look on film he I mean, he negates tight ends he's such an explosive athlete he comes down in the run game just lights guys up i mean to me he's kind of a lot like Isaiah Simmons was last year except i actually think JOK is a little bit smoother in man coverage. Like I could, I could trust him to turn and run. That I had a little bit of questions with Isaiah Simmons' ability to. Uh, Zayvon Collins is kind of an interesting dynamic because he's you don't really know where he's going to play, but you know wherever he's going to play, 
he's going to be good at it. You're like, is he an edge? Is he a three-four Sam? Can he play Mike? Can he play Will? We don't really know, but we know wherever we're going to put him, he's really talented. He's good in coverage. He comes up well against the run. He has a lot of responsibilities in that Tulsa defense, and he's just a really big leader. I really like that. And Baron Browning out of Ohio State's another guy. I know you mentioned Jimmy Davis, and they're sort of similar in the fact that they're just freaky athletes that are just starting to tap into their potential of how good they can be. Nick Bolton has kind of fallen off the radar since his pro day, but he's really special. I, I love his instincts, his head hunting, you know, just that kind of mentality to just impose his will on guys. Jabril Cox is such a good coverage linebacker. Like, there's so many options in this draft class for linebacker that you know, originally over the summer we were kind of looking at it going, uh, you know, maybe, you know, we got Micah Parsons. Yeah, he's all right. And then now it's starting to become a really big position of strength, really. I mean, we have Dylan Moses, who just two years ago was like a top five pick. And now because of how good this linebacker class is, we're going, eh, man, he might be available in, you know, round four. I mean, he could fall that far because there's so many good options ahead of him that teams might just go, I'm going to let, I'm going to pass. I'm going to let somebody else take it. I'll take this guy who is just as good. If you were a GM inside the war room for an NFL team, who would you be going crazy for? It's it's kind of tough because I really like a lot of this class, but regardless of injuries, if he's there, I'm such a huge Landon Dickerson fan, the center out of Alabama. His tape is phenomenal. The injuries are probably the biggest concern. They're Actually, they're my only concern with Landon Dickerson's projection into the NFL. If he stays healthy, he's going to be a top 10 center easily for the next decade i love his mentality the way he plays with but then you look at the intangibles his athleticism everything that he brings as a leader is just off the charts i mean you saw i don't know if you guys saw but at the alabama pro day he's just out there doing backflips just for yards while mac jones was on camera like he's just video bombing and doing backflips Three months after being under the knife for an ACL surgery. He's just a freak, a fun guy. Everybody raves about his character. I talk to everybody says he's the leader of that offensive line. He is such a spark. And that really speaks a lot to me. And then when you put that with his tape, I'd put I'd, I'd want him on my team every day and twice on Sundays. I, I'm really high on Dickerson as well. I think he is such a dominant player when you watch his tape. He is such a good player, and I'm totally with you. I think he's getting a little bit slept on in these projections by a lot of these analysts, which brings me to my next question. Who are some players that you think are being undervalued in the first round, early second round range of these projections? Who's a guy or maybe a couple guys that you think are really being undersold here? Well, I think one guy that, that kind of stands out is Alex Leatherwood, the tackle out of Alabama. He's fallen a little bit in projections because of the senior bowl. But to me, like the issues that he had on tape weren't going to be fixed in time for the senior bowl. And honestly, on on tape, like he has a lot less question marks than some of these other tackles that are that I'm seeing put above him. I mean, recently we're seeing Walker Little has been mocked in the first round by a few people recently but walker little's not played in two years and he's coming off the last time we saw him he got hurt 
you know, Alex Leatherwood, we just saw win a national championship, <laughs> right? Leatherwood's concerns are mainly he's just got to get his hand usage down because he's powerful. He's a good. He's a great athlete. Tested phenomenal. When you look at his film, he's really just got to get that outside hand down. And once he gets his overall use of hands, he starts to get comfortable with his passing sets. I really think that he's just going to be a, a phenomenal tackle. I mean, if if I'm Green Bay. I'm sitting here going, yeah, I'm going to take this guy because I need to fix my offensive line. And he could step right in at, at right tackle. He can go to guard. He's played pretty much everywhere at Alabama. So he's he's one of the guys. Uh, I also feel that Asante Samuel Jr., I've seen more and more often that he's falling into the second round, middle, the late second round. There are several people or several mock drafts I've read where he falls – to 57 to the Rams and if you know as a Rams guy I would love it because I love Asante Samuel Jr but there's so much good film out there on him he tested well I love his swagger that he plays with he plays with that chip that you really want to see from a defensive back that's why I love Jair Alexander so much coming out of college because he's just that dog he really plays with a fire He's good in man, great man coverage. I love his instincts and zone. I'm sitting here going, yeah, I mean, he's a little small, but with how often teams play nickel and how explosive he is, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't ask him to go line up against, you know, Julio Jones, but, you know, I'm just negating so many other guys. Like, if he's fallen to the late second round, every team should be bouncing on that because he's such a stud. Okay, so if – Players are under or overachieving, right? What players do you think are busts, potentially? It starts with the quarterbacks, because that's always the big buzz, right? Quarterbacks, oh, they've got the most bust potential. That one, I don't really want to say who I think. Just It just depends on landing spot. You know, whichever quarterback ends up in San Fran, you know, it's going to be in a good situation. Whoever ends up elsewhere, we don't know. If Trevor Lawrence has a big risk, because... You know, we don't really know how good the Jaguars can be and how good they could be assembling a staff around him. Aziz Ojolari feels like another guy that could kind of bust out. Uh, I, I don't know. He, he wins on film with athleticism and explosiveness. That's how he has to win because he's not developed as a pass rusher. But then he goes out and tests, and he's just kind of average explosiveness. You're kind of going, uh, I don't know how to feel about that kind of style. You know, you're if you're if you win with athleticism on film, you should be testing like an elite athlete. Otherwise, I don't, I don't know how to feel about your projection. It's kind of that same thing with Gregory Rousseau, in the fact that Rousseau's biggest trait was that he was a six seven athletic freak, and then he goes out and just tests average to below average. And on film, we haven't seen him develop for a year. You know, when he his last film, he beat up on Florida State and was just kind of a dude for the most part. His average, really, you have this raw athletes who should be testing well and play with great athleticism, but then they go out and they don't test well. And you start to wonder, how do the two match up? How does the tape and testing equal each other? And that is a bit of a red flag. And I don't, I'm already not sold on raw pass rushers, but with like Jason Owe, who's extremely raw, he 
You saw him go out and test like an elite athlete, right? He just blew the socks off the Penn State Pro Day. And so you start to go, okay, yeah, I can bet on that because the the testing matches the tape. But when the testing doesn't match the tape, that's a big red flag for me. Yeah, we see that a lot with these college prospects. It seems like every year there's a handful of guys that when you watch their tape, they dominate whether it's offensive line, defensive line, or wherever position they're at. Sometimes they just get by with their size and athletic ability because they're going up against college kids and they're, quite frankly, NFL prospects. And so sometimes these guys don't always have to rely on being technically sound. When we know at the next level, you're going to have to develop some pass rush moves. You're going to have to develop better footwork and things like that. And sometimes those are the guys who tend to be the boomer bust type prospects. So it's definitely a fascinating take. Yeah, I I had that same concern with Rashawn Gary coming out, but he's in Green Bay. He's actually kind of developed. I mean, he's not been a superstar. You know, I think he was like 12th or 13th overall pick. But the traits, like, I, I really think that he's getting ready to burst out because now he's starting to put everything together. But those guys take time. And that's, to me, if you're a first-round pick, when patience is at an all-time low in the NFL – I just kind of prefer guys where I can see the easy projections, if you will. I, like, I don't like going safe. It, it's not what I'm trying to say, but it's it's more of you got to know what you're banking on. And if you're hoping that this guy becomes a good player, you've not seen on film, that is something that I don't, I don't like. I don't buy into that. It's just something that I really struggle with as an evaluator. Yeah, Gary's a great example. He was a guy that I evaluated on this uh, podcast when he came out and I wasn't very high on him either because I thought his tape showed what you talked about, a guy that just won with size and athleticism too often. But you're right, he is starting to develop and I think you hit that on the head. And it, it brings me to another defensive lineman that I'm fascinated with in this class. And Many see Pay as a top defensive end in this class. Most analysts have him near the top. But with the lack of production at Michigan, how confident are you that he'll be able to produce at the NFL level? The Michigan tape is is odd with Pay. It, it makes for a frustrating evaluation because you saw he, he played, he put a lot of hats on in that Don Brown defense, right? He would line up over the tackle. He'd be inside the A-gap. He'd be out wide. It, so you saw him kind of be just this jack-of-all-trades moved around a lot, and it never really let him focus on just winning on the outside, on the perimeter with that burst and that bend and everything that he has in his arsenal. He's a good, he's a great run defender, right? I'm not worried about that. The motor is there. I'd be a little concerned drafting him super high, right? If like top 10, I, I he had like top 10, top 15 buzz earlier on the season. I, I would be more comfortable if I was picking at like 22. Like if, if I were the Colts at 21 and he was there, I'd be like, yeah, okay, he fits our scheme. He's got trades worth banking on. I'm a-okay with that. But if I'm the Giants at 11 who need a pass rusher, I'd be going, eh, I don't know about Quiddy Pay this high. I, the production, I think, can kind of be explained by his usage, but he also has to grow as a pass rusher. Uh, he, he has the motor, 
he has the traits to succeed, but he doesn't have a lot in his pass rush plan. You know, if the offensive line encountered his initial move, he didn't know where to go, right? He was just kind of trying to out-athlete a guy, and that, that's a bit of a scary situation. Like we were talking about, if you're just trying to out-athlete these guys and you're facing an elite technician, good luck. You know, that, that's why that's how Rashawn Slater kicked the heck out of Chase Young for a lot of reps is because Chase Young for, is a much better athlete than Rashawn Slater. He was just such a freak. But Rashawn Slater was so good technically that it didn't, you know, he more than made up for the difference. And when you're not that good te- technically and you're coming out and you're going against NFL offensive linemen who have seen just about everything, that's a bit of a scary proposition for a top 15 pick. And then he goes out and he doesn't blow the socks off testing. You're kind of going, if he lands in the right situation, like I love the fit with the Colts because they have such a good defensive staff and development there. If he lands in, even with like the Jets, maybe at 23, he doesn't have to be the number one pass rusher right away because they've got Carl Lawson on the other side who's extremely technically refined and can help him grow into that role. And so I think it's more, it's like a situation where if he goes to the wrong team, I don't know how good Pay will be by year three, but if he ends up you know, going with a good staff, with a good development, we're talking about a 10 to 15 sack guy. And it's interesting that you bring up Rashawn Slater. So speaking of which, between Rashawn Slater and Penny Sewell, are these guys being top tackle prospects? Which of these two do you really like in this class, or is there another name that you can insert? Sewell is, golly, what what a special talent, Penny Sewell. You know, there was this weird cycle of draft analysis and draft draft Twitter, if you will, where it went from Sewell was just so freaking good, such a generational prospect, he's everything we want. Then it was like, come December... Yeah, how good is Panay Sewell really? And now we're just like, oh yeah, it's Sewell. It's OT1. I don't care. It, when you look at how he was playing at just like 18, 19 years old, just demolishing NFL caliber talent, it was just so rare. Such a f- athletic, physically gifted guy at 330 pounds, testing the way he was was crazy. Slater is also you know, such an elite technician. I love Rashawn Slater. Both he and Sewell are going to be top 10. I like Christian Derisaw a lot. Tackle out of Virginia Tech. It's almost been an interesting case study because I, I when you look on the film, he doesn't really have any concerns except for there's a few plays a game where he kind of takes off. And he just kind of looks like he's going through the motions. It's not you know half the snaps. It's not 30%, but maybe 5 to 10 a game. His motor, essentially, is what it was. Just kind of turns off, and he just kind of goes through the motions. Like, what, what's what's going on in those five to ten plays? What what happened there? Why why did you why are you just not caring? It is what it looked like. He was just kind of late, and he just kind of go through his footwork. He just kind of hit the guy in front of him, you know. And then you know the rest of the plays, he just puts the dude in the dirt, or he just knocks the dude around the arc with ease. Just beats guys to the second level. And it'll happen like mid-series too, and he'll just turn it on. He'll just come on, and he just goes out. The first round talent, all the tools in the world, right? He reminds me tools-wise of Laramie Tunzel. 
that's how good I think he could be. But then you look at his motor and you kind of go, man, that's that's a little scary. Because otherwise he'd be talked about, oh, we're going, yeah, there's a top 10 tackle right there. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Christian Derrishaw. He's a guy that I'm pretty high on. I think he's getting a little bit slept on in this class. And, and I'm with you. I think the upside is tremendously high. Uh, you hit his evaluation perfectly. Um, I think a, a team like possibly the Raiders who desperately need some offensive line help. I think he, that would be a fit for him. But yeah, it, when you look at this class, Panay Sewell, I, I hate the term generational talent. I think it gets overused, but he's one of the few guys in this class that I feel comfortable using that term. He's a guy I actually saw play live a few times out here in Pac-12 country, and he's he's just unbelievable. And when you watch him, you, like you said, the size and athleticism, it's freakish when you watch what this guy can do on a football field. So I know you're a big offensive line guy. So I was excited to kind of get your take on some of these players here. I, I, I don't know where this, well, he might not be the first offensive lineman off the board. Cause it's, it, there's no questions, right? We, we saw this 18 year old kid go out and just slingshot technique NFL three techs. And you're going, there's nothing to question. <laughs> there's really nothing. Like on film, when I'm sitting there going, oh man, this guy's not going to work in the NFL because there's every reason to expect that he will, right? There's nothing on, there's no glaring red flags. I mean, sure, there's a few things he can work on, but I think he could be a Trent Williams. That That's, that's like his ceiling. I think he could be Trent Williams. And that's, that's the best tackle in the 2010s. That's how, that's how good he can be. Yeah, and that and that's high praise, but I'm with you. I'm completely with you. I think he's that special of a player. I think he's a day one starter. Actually, I did a mock draft on a different podcast. I was a guest with some other guys, and they, they were asking me who I would take it to with New York. And I said Panay Sewell because I was, at the time, the Sam Darnold trade hadn't gone down yet, but I was basically saying, why start over with another quarterback that has all kinds of question marks when you can get a generational left tackle that's going to start every game for 10 years and probably make the Pro Bowl eight of those 10 years. So I don't even understand why anyone would debate this guy. He's that good. Yeah, you've seen that with Cincinnati, right? Bengals fans, it's like, oh, do we go Sewell or Chase? Sewell or Chase? Sewell or Chase? Like, listen, you get you get an elite wide receiver almost every year these days, right? I mean, we, we saw three, four five first round picks last year six actually i think the first round wide receivers last year and the best one of all the rookies didn't even you know was like pick 23rd justin jefferson right like these easy elite receivers you can find outside of the top 10 and it's not like cincinnati has a bad group either but you plug in Panay sewell and you know, there's your quarterback. There's your offensive line solved, right? It, to me, it's such an easy evaluation that I don't know how you can reasonably sit there and go, "Yeah, I would, I would pass on this elite generational left tackle who's worth you know, the positional value is just so much more valuable than receivers these days." It, it, to me, it's just a no, a no contest. Yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. There's no doubt about it. Receivers tend to be a dime a dozen, but guys like this do not come around very often. That is for sure. But I wanted to get one last question with you, AJ, and we really appreciate your time. I wanted to take a look at this cornerback group because I think it's a special group here with Patrick Sertain, 
Caleb Farley and J.C. Horn. They really headline this class for the cornerbacks. How good is this cornerback class? And who do you think is the best in this class? Because it seems like no, no matter who you ask, there's a different answer here. You know, a lot of people had Sertan as kind of the consensus guy, but I'm seeing a lot of other analysts who have had Farley number one. I've seen people with Horn number one. I'm curious to see what you think of this class and who you think the best corner is in this class. Well, I'm going to get into the class as a whole, and then I'll go into who I think is the best. Uh, Sertan, Horn, Farley are all special prospects in their own right. Farley, I think, has the most question marks just because of the back injuries. That's that's a frequent problem, especially for a position that requires so much twitch and the amount of maneuvering you have to do as a corner, especially with the ball in the air, you're going to take hits. That back holding up, having multiple surgeries on it, is kind of a worry, but on film, he's an elite athlete. Just just a rare specimen, rare talent. To me, the guy I, I think is the best is... Oh, man. <laughs> it depends on... I'm going to cop out of this answer, and I'm going to say it depends on the scheme I run. Because if I'm a team that relies heavily on man coverage, I'm going to go with J.C. Horn. Because I think that guy is such a freak. He's such a dog on the field. I mean, you just look, he just loves to bully guys. Right? He, he made such a such a master at just getting in receivers' heads and just fighting chippy, chippy guy. Like he, he screams alpha corner to me. And you go over to Sertan, I think he's in best in that cover three scheme in Dallas, the super zone heavy. He just doesn't really have any question marks. Right? We were kind of going how good of an athlete is he? And then he just tests phenomenal. You go, well, there goes that one. You know, I mean, he may not be this dog on the field, but he's a guy that is almost a, a boring corner in the sense that you don't really have to worry about him because that side of the field is covered because he's over there. He's so technically refined. He's so gifted. Ball in the air. He's going to come down with it. So I just, I really think you can't go wrong between Sertan and Horn. Farley, I have a feeling Farley's going to drop, and I, I, I don't. It's not because of talent; it's because of injuries. With the COVID thing last year, we saw in the draft anybody who had a medical red flag, the teams avoided. Right? They, they fell and they dropped. We kept going. Why? Why are they dropping? What's going on? And then it comes out after the fact. Teams didn't have the medical info, right? And we don't have it this year. We're, you know, we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants, essentially. So we don't know. And if Farley's gonna, I think Farley's going to drop into day two. I think he's more likely to drop into day two than he is to go top 10 or top 15. But then that whole thing brings up the next crop of corners, right? Greg Newsom out of Northwestern. He, he's going to go probably in the top 20, 25 picks. He's going to be drafted before Farley, I think, just because he doesn't have the question marks. His film is good. He's really smooth. He's a great athlete. And... He doesn't have doesn't have the injuries, and then you've got Melifonwu from Syracuse, Kelvin Joseph out of Kentucky. I mean, you saw Eric Stokes, guys like that. I think are going to be drafted at like top fifty. I mean, this corner has so this corner class just churns out. There's so many names that I'm, you know, we could see maybe nineteen corners easy just right off the top of my head. I can name nineteen or twenty that I'm going. Yeah, I draft them. It's it's such a deep 
deep class, and it really needs to be considering this wide receiver class is also really, really, really deep. I, I think those two positions are getting such a huge influx of talent. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's a deep class, and I think you hit it perfectly. And I think Farley, you're right. I think the injuries are going to cause his draft stock to fall somewhat. But if he is able to stay healthy, what a steal he could end up being if he ends up being a late first or early second type of guy, which I think you're right, could certainly happen. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out for sure. But we are really just so excited to have had you on the show today. Thank you so much. Once again, guys, it's AJ Schulte. He's an NFL college football and NFL draft writer for profootballnetwork.com. Follow him on Twitter at AJ Draft Scout. He's got all kinds of great stuff on there. So go ahead and give him a follow. It's definitely worth it, guys. Thanks again for coming on the show, AJ. Really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for inviting me. I had a blast. I'm always down to talk. That is going to do it for today's episode. Season three of Pint Glass Football is just getting started, PGF Nation. There's a lot more NFL draft coverage coming, so be sure to check it out, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.